Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 underway. Hutton and Withrow here. Glad you're with us across the Outkick network. Big show planned today over the next three hours. Coming up in 20 minutes, Bobby Carpenter joins us. We'll get his reaction to Nick Saban's comments about suspending a player versus the way Nate Oates handled things in Tuscaloosa. We'll also chat with Tim Brando, Fox Sports. A lot of previewing coming up of the Sweet 16. We'll be headed to a portion of the bracket starting tomorrow evening and on Friday. We'll get Tim's thoughts on all of the matchups. Uh, plus, John Fanta will join us from the field of 68 and Sirius XM. Covers the Big East. They've had some big coaching changes. And John sat down with Rick Patino yesterday. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's a very hoops-centric show today. Love, Love that. It. This time of year, one day away from the Sweet 16 tipping off. Exciting lineup today. And we will also give our lineup. We'll reseed the Sweet 16 and compare and contrast where we have certain teams right now going into tomorrow night's tip-off of the Sweet 16. And Chad, last night we saw a championship in the World Baseball Classic. It's going to be presumably the, the highest-watched, most-watched World Baseball Classic matchup ever. That's great. And once again, Otani delivers in the dramatic fashion. Great atmosphere. Terrific drama in the ninth inning with Otani going up against his teammate, Mike Trout. And I thought Mark DeRosa, the manager for Team USA, really summed it up well. Best description I've heard about Shohei Otani and, and his greatness came from Mark DeRosa. Here's what he had to say. Mark, you've uh, you've analyzed Otani for years now yeah. on the network, seen him play. But like you just, like you said, leadoff guy gets on a one run game. You got three MVPs coming up, double play strikeout, tournament over. Is it possible Otani exceeded your expectations? And what did you see from that guy you on the stage? You know what blows me away on the stage, Tyler, is the fact that he seems to like no moments too big for him. I mean, he did not seem like rattled by walking Jeff McNeil on a close pitch down. Not rattled that move, like you said, three MVPs were coming coming up to bat. Like you said, I've an, I've analyzed him for for years since he's come over here. What he's doing in the game is what probably ninety percent of the guys in that clubhouse did in little league or in youth tournaments, and he's able to pull it off on the biggest stages. He is a uh, he's a unicorn to the sport. Unicorn that makes the major leagues look like little league baseball for a great athlete that dominates their local Little League. That is what Otani is doing to the game of baseball. It is unbelievable. This guy just threw the hardest pitch at over 100 miles per hour and also hit the hardest baseball in the course of this tournament for the World Baseball Classic at the same time. It is better than what Babe Ruth was doing. He wasn't doing the same thing at the same time. He was a pitcher who then became a slugger. Otani does both of these things. Mark DeRosa went on to say that he's not overly disappointed in the result and then losing 3-2 to two in Japan, winning another World Baseball Classic because he knows the baseball world won. And I agree with that. It's tough to disagree with that when I watch this tournament and how exciting it was, especially the championship game. But here's where baseball will really win. When Otani truly is a global icon. And it starts right here at home in the United States. This is America's pastime. And Otani is great enough to be a name that is up there with Mahomes, Brady, LeBron. He's not. And we can point to a lot of reasons for that. Is it where he plays with the team, with the Angels? The fact that he's not American, that he's from Japan originally. I would argue David Beckham is a much bigger name in the United States than Otani. He's not playing the American game also. 
This is the mountain. It's not a hill. This is the mountain that Major League Baseball needs to cross at some point. They've got to climb it. They've got to summit it. They've got to get over it because Otani is a true superstar and a unicorn unlike we've ever seen in the game of baseball. And Hutton, until that day comes where this guy's name is as big as anyone in sports and everyone knows about him and everyone knows his stats and everyone's watching him when he's on the mound or when he's hitting, I just don't think baseball at the major league level in the United States is truly going to expand. Well, I agree with what you're saying. Um, I mean, if, if America didn't embrace Aaron Judge last season, are they about to hop on the Otani bandwagon? The answer is no. And that's not Otani's fault. That's not Judge's fault. That's not Trout's fault that we don't know much about these guys. But we don't. Uh, what's sad is it appears that this is as good as the sport can produce for us. Quick games, quick turnarounds, fast tournament. Uh, you have a great atmosphere. Best players in the world are playing. Best players in the world. We heard from Kurt Schilling last week who said, best play in the world. Otani followed by Trout. They're up at bat and one's on the mound for the final pitch for the championship game. And the games are ending with drama, not just the championship game. What's missing? Nothing. But very little is special anymore in sports because we have so many different options, even if we don't want sports. And the best option is Otani. And quite frankly, I mean, if he's on, I'm watching, but it wasn't appointment viewing for me last night. I just didn't care. And that is what we're conditioned to do now. It used to be America's pastime. It's not anymore. What's special is the NFL draft. Look at the ratings. And then compare some of the ratings for the World Baseball Classic to the worst ratings of last weekend's NCAA tournament game. Or compare them to the worst Thursday night football matchup. They, they, they just don't pair up. And that's not Otani's fault. That's not the play. Major League Baseball is in a rut. Now, they're as close as they've been in years, Chad, to being out of that rut. They've got some individual personality traits with these guys across the country that they should lean into. I just haven't seen it to that full extent yet. And we can glow and, and check out all the highlights of Otani and say, yeah, it's a, it's a little league uh, dream to be doing what he's doing. But I just don't think the appreciation is there, and we're seeing it right in front of our eyes. Uh, meanwhile, you know, Brady's in, in, in the middle of his career. We're calling him the GOAT. Yeah. Right. It's just a different vibe with MLB. And here's the other thing for those that don't care, they're not going to care. I do think those that do care about Major League Baseball really only care about their team. You care about the Braves or the Cardinals or the Yankees or the Orioles, if you're me. I don't care about watching random baseball games anymore. And that's where Major League Baseball has truly dropped off. It's also, it's product overload. There's so many games and there's just such a, you go on, I mean, once the, the season gets here, right now I'm, I'm going to sports sites to read things and at the top I'm getting all the spring training scores. And I'm thinking, oh, well, here's the teaser for what we're going to have from now until October. Right. Is every day there's just Major League Baseball games happening and there's so much, it, it's, it's, it's information overload and you just don't care. You get so much information in so many games, you start to care less about it. I get all that and it's very much a localized product. And for the most part, baseball fans only care about their teams. They're not going to watch other games or other teams. This isn't the era we grew up in where we're 
collecting Major League Baseball cards and learning right. about players and or, studying the back of the card for the stats and learning more about each team because we're collecting baseball and, cards. That, and, that's gone. I mean, and, and, and on Wednesday nights on ESPN, we had the Wednesday night doubleheader. I mean, Seattle was a 500 team. They were on every other week on Wednesday night for the second game on the, on the West Coast. So the argument that the Angels suck, I just don't buy if we're going back to that era and the biggest stars were playing for the Mariners. They're, you know, roided up and yeah. more power to them. And we've got a generational player, maybe the best ever by the time it's over. And I rarely see him featured nationally. Yes, and that's what I want to get to. And this is where... And I don't know his the status of his agent representation or how many ads Otani does in Japan or what's going on locally in the L.A. market. I don't know all these things. Here's what I know. I've got a seven-year-old daughter who doesn't really watch football and doesn't care for it, but she knows who Patrick Mahomes is. Why? Because he's on insurance commercials all the time. She knows who Aaron Rodgers is. Why? Because he's on commercials constantly. She knows who Peyton Manning is, who doesn't even play anymore. How? He's on every television break, and she's tuning in for the commercials more than the sport. That's where Otani can take the leap. We see LeBron James on ads everywhere. Tom Brady now is going to be on ads all the time. It needs to be a crossover hit. If someone could capture Otani in the right funny commercial and give him some personality within it, that's going to help build his brand. We have not seen that. And baseball, historically, does a terrible job at pitching their superstars to the world and to the country. And it's never going to be anything if it's just a baseball-only story. I'm watching Twitter last night, and it's blowing up with people talking about the World Baseball Classic. Who was it blowing up? Not NFL writers. Not the football people. Just baseball people. This was not a sports crossover hit. It was an enormous event for baseball people. Yeah, it's the best it's been. Otani, though, has to be an enormous icon for sports not just baseball people. And to get him there, I'm not Madison Avenue, but I'm telling you, if I'm his representation, let's get him to Madison Avenue and let's get him on every available national advertisement out there and start putting him in commercials with Patrick Mahomes or putting him with other celebrities from other sports. And then when my daughter says, hey, who's that guy? He was funny. I say, oh, that's Shohei Otani. He's the best baseball player of our generation. And I'm talking about both of ours, between my daughter and myself. He's the best. He's the greatest baseball player. You know what he does? He pitches and he hits. And he's the best at both, or one of the best at both. So that's the next step for baseball. I don't know how they get there. There's no magic wand to just say, hey, national brands, put him on your commercials and let's get this thing going. But it's in the best interest of baseball if that starts to happen and happen soon. Yeah, I mean, uh, right, I mean, Baker Mayfield gets national brands more than Aaron Judge. I mean, let's just put that in perspective. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what sells. That's what moves the needle for the, the advertisers. They're following the trends, and it's hard to argue with a number on Thursday Night Football that Baker Mayfield at quarterback for the Rams can end up with at the end of a season, or is it Monday night, compared to you know your Sunday night baseball game on ESPN. It's just not going to pull the same. I so, have to explain to my daughter who Steven Adams is. Because he is in AT&T commercials in every break of March Madness. Because it's that commercial where she's, everybody's on his shoulders and his yeah. arms watching the game for a good signal. And it's, oh no, this well, is Steven Adams. And I'm thinking, Steven Adams <laughs> is getting national play during one of the biggest sporting events in America. No one knows who Steven Adams is outside of 
diehard NBA people. Just because he looks different than most NBA players, maybe they know him, but they yeah. don't really know much about him. And here's Shohei Otani leaving games to go into the go warm up in the bullpen and go dominate three MVPs in the night to win his country, the World Baseball Classic. And oh, by the way, he's the maybe the best slugger or one of the two best in baseball also. And I'm thinking, we can't get Shohei Otani a commercial to explain and, to people who this guy is? And let's also just throw this out there too, which is uh, uh, the obvious. You had your pitcher and best player in baseball, Otani on the mound, against the generational player of Mike Trout, and they play for a loser. Yep. That, I mean, that also factors in. How do the Angels suck with that? Now, that's, this is not for long. Look at, uh, he's got a, a contract that expires after this season, picked up a, a one-year deal, right? Uh, so he's, he's playing under the one-year contract. Spotrack put this out and valued what his value would be as a pitcher and as a hitter. Eight years, $230 million would be the valuation for Otani as a pitcher. Ten years, $333 million as a hitter. And he's an everyday player who's also going to start games for you. So that's also going to be the next huge storyline in a few months. And no, it doesn't matter uh, with the relationship between Otani and, and Trout. I'm reading this on this. I'm like, absolutely not. Uh, no. Trout barely swings and misses, period. Yeah. Um, no. no. Doesn't factor into their relationship moving forward. Depending on the team and the setup and the situation where he goes, he may be the first person that could just say, give me 250 mil and 15% of your team. I want to be a part owner in Major League Baseball when I retire. Well, the players get everything, so I'm, su- I'm surprised they haven't already done that. I mean, he could probably buy into whatever his contract is, just the legal way, <laughs> and just I buy mean, a stake in a team. And no, I'm not talking about majority ownership. Right. I'm not saying, yeah, I'll, I'll hand you my Major League Baseball club to come play for us. But do you not think that there is a desperate team out there that would want Shohei Otani? I, They'll say, I'll everything. give you this much money, and you're going to give me a big discount on the life of the contract, and I'll give you 10% of this team. Or Steve wouldn't Cohen that just be gives a him groundbreaking, Wouldn't that be a groundbreaking uh, uh, negotiation? He may not want any part of it. I know. But I mean, he may be wanting to go back to Japan when he's done and not want to own to... a major league team. He may want to take that 600 mil Cohen gives him <laughs> and buy the, the Tokyo Giants You know when he's done just playing. Just get him out of Anaheim. Please. You know, that, that's, that's the other factor here. Hit us up with your thoughts at Outkick360. Coming up, we'll switch gears. Bobby Carpenter joins us. A lot of pro days going on, including the one at Ohio State. Everyone's watching Stroud and... Jackson Smith and Jigba is also putting on a show, running the 40. And we'll detail from Bobby's perspective what Nick Saban was saying. He was very blunt about why he suspended a player, and we're comparing that to why Nate Oates didn't. It's next to Outkick 360. Primary complaint coming up in 25 minutes. Outkick 360 rolls on. Bobby Carpenter joins us. Buckeye, Cowboy, and now Professor. He's teaching a course at Ohio State, I believe. That's correct. Over the next six weeks, Bobby, and you're about to walk into class right now You're as, as the Professor Carpenter? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I've been doing it for the last five years, so it's been uh, pretty good. You know, it always sneaks up on me. This year I didn't teach it in the fall. I just had too much going on. So just relegated to the spring. But I had to try to jam in pro day for Ohio State in between 
you know, my two classes today and after my morning radio. So it's been a fairly busy day, gentlemen. What's the, what's the course? Uh, it's a private equity class, finance class. So talk about deal structuring and nice. leveraging debt and all these different beautiful things that I never used that I only learned about in graduate school and undergrad. All right. Based on uh, the, what you witnessed at the pro day, the Panthers just swarming and swooning over CJ Stroud. Um, yeah, I mean, they pretty much had the whole crew up here, uh, watching him and making sure, I mean, the owners, Teppers were up. I mean, everybody flew on up to take a look. So, I mean, whatever that means, like he looked good, but tell him if you look bad on your pro day, you're probably not a very good quarterback to begin with. So he looked good. You know, he ran, you know, threw the ball really well, came out of his hand. Nice. You know, just talking to some of the different scouts, like about where these guys, some of them are. And we started talking about Anthony Richardson and it was just, you know, just the difference between like Bryce and uh, CJ and how they throw the football and their anticipation and everything versus, you know, Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. So I think one of those two guys will be one or number one. I think they'll probably go the first two picks. I would be shocked if, you know, someone else takes a quarterback before both those guys are off the board. And I think it just really comes down to a matter of preference. I mean, Bryce is probably a little more explosive athlete, very decisive. Um, both of them are really, you know, good, good humans. Um, you know, CJ's just, he's a little bigger and, you know, a little more like fluid, but maybe not quite as explosive or twitchy when it comes to taking off of the football. So it just kind of comes down to your preference at that point. Bobby, it, it appears as though the biggest buzz from the pro day was from Marvin Harrison Jr. Who's not even eligible for the draft right now. Um, were you hearing that same conversation? Yeah, I mean, those guys, they're, they're very impressed with the receivers. Brian Hartline has done a heck of a job with them. And so Jackson looked really good. You know, he ran high four, you know, high four fours, low four fives, which is about what I thought he would run. That's kind of what he is. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr., you know, he's not, they're not running 40s, but looked great catching the football. Looks really good. The one tight end, Cade Stover, looked really good. And there's a guy that not many people know, Jaden Ballard, who, um, tall speedster and there's a lot of guys like asking who this guy was because they hadn't even seen him before um so they've got some good receiver depth and he kind of turned some heads because he's got some really great linear speed so yeah i mean marvin was gonna obviously impress with just his size how he catches the football and his route running ability you know it, there, there's everything you've seen there is on tv is what you're seeing with him all the time so, Bobby, when Nick Saban says there's no such thing as wrong place, wrong time, our ears immediately perked up and said, well, that's the exact opposite of what Nate Oates had to apologize for when he said that his player, Brandon Miller, was, quote, in the wrong place, wrong time. And this is Nick Saban with a little bit of fire back at that statement and about the university and what they're trying to do at, with the football program. Did you take it as that? And what do you hear when you hear Nick Saban saying that about uh, saying that about his player that was arrested? I don't think Nick likes negative attention on the University of Alabama, and especially if it's not coming for the football team, because you don't want any more eyeballs there. You know, other stuff going on. I think he think you know it's great that the basketball team's doing well, but hey, you know, if there's a lot of other stuff going on over here, that's only drawing a negative light to everything. And, you know, Nick, obviously he's had, he's had some discipline issues with guys, just like every college coach has. I mean, he's not exempt from that, but he handles them pretty well for the most part, I think. You know, nobody's going to be, you know, 100% in lockstep with what someone else would do all the time. But, yeah, I mean, him saying there's no wrong place, no, 
uh, there's no wrong place, wrong time. It's basically, you know, him. it's a shot right across the bow at everything that's going on right there. I mean, there's no other way to interpret that. Nick Saban isn't a first-time head coach, you know, at a small school who doesn't necessarily know what's going on. He's been doing this for a long time. He knows exactly the choice of words that he made. He knows that those were uttered before, and he's saying it with intent. And so I completely understand what he's doing right there. And you know what? Like, and he probably singing the standard, hey, nobody's got nothing slack. We've got to go out here and win games and get guys doing ridiculous stuff. I mean, they need to be held accountable for it. Flip side, and devil's argument only here, because I agree with what Saban did and disagree with how Oates and the university handled it. But Saban's suspending a guy in spring practice. He's a five-star freshman coming in. We haven't even seen him play a game yet at corner. Meanwhile, Brandon Miller's the best player in the country, and they were going into uh, a, a string of games in conference setting up for postseason play, and they're the national championship favorite to win. Uh, would it be different in your mind if this were happening in the middle of the football season? Um, you'd like to think so, maybe, where you maybe suspend a guy for a game or, or whatever, but it happened in the offseason, so it's kind of convenient that you can do this right now. You know, I, I'd like to think there would be some repercussions if it happened during the season. Um, and maybe there's, you know, playing time, you know, suspended for a half for a game. And, you know, obviously it's got to be equitable to the punish or to the crime, but I would imagine that there would be something. I, I think Nick has been around too long to think that he would just let something completely slide. Was racing a big deal uh, for you whenever you were at, in Columbus? Uh, just thinking about the, the, you know, the strip and the drag and all of the high speeds we're seeing in many of these situations, specifically Tony Mitchell's driving over 140 miles per hour in a police uh, chase as they're pursuing him for pulling him over for going 78 and 55. I mean, I've, I've done that. I, I pull over, though. Um, I don't have half a pound of weed and, uh, you know, a concealed firearm either with the passenger. Um, uh, what happened in Georgia with Carter and, and the wreck that took place? Uh, high speeds there. Is it different now than it was, or has this always gone on and there's nothing to actually get a grip around? So I didn't have a car, I mean, that, that would travel to speed like that when I was in college. So, you know, racing somebody was kind of out of the realm of possibility. I mean, my, my mom's old Ford Taurus was probably topping out at maybe like low 90s, you know, and that was with maybe no one else in the vehicle. Yeah, you found that out uh, So. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that was like driving on the highway, though. Yeah. You know, and one thing, I, I give people a lot of respect. There's times where the thought has run through my head to where, you know, the lights flicker. Like, maybe if I just hammer it down right now, I can pull <laughs> Smokey and the Bandit this thing and, like, Burt Reynolds and pull away. But I've never had the gall to actually do it. Uh, so I do give guys respect for that. Now, you got, you know, some weed and, you know, a firearm in the car. I mean, that's, that's a different story. Sure. But I, here's the, the the crux of it to me with it is the reality that these guys now are younger and they've been given more. And so, you know, you're having, you know, NIL, they have nicer cars in college, you know, they have a little bit more money. And so when you have that stuff and you, you can make bigger mistakes due to the financial ability to make it as opposed to making smaller mistakes because your car doesn't go as fast, it's not as nice, you don't have the ability to do some of these things. That to me is where, you know, some of these problems are going to start happening. And so I think you have to educate these guys that they're, they're, they need to have more responsibility because they have more opportunity now than they ever had. And that's, that's hard to understand when you're 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. But that's the reality now where, I mean, I think the guys should be compensated. And I'm for what's going on. 
you know, to a certain extent, but with, you know, added financial ability comes more responsibility because you're going to have the, the option, options and ability to do more things. So you've got to find a way to get a handle on that. So we live in an era where coaches are more tight-lipped than they've ever been about their teams, and they're more tight-lipped with media access to practice and everything else that goes on around a program. But we also live in an era where there's so much information out there because there's so many different outlets covering teams, especially the bigger college football programs. Bobby, what is your advice to fans on what to follow over the course of a spring practice with their team? What's important what are you looking for if you're looking for information that's out there? What are you following specifically with a team during the spring? Man, it's tough because, like you said, a lot of the coaches, they don't want to give give anything up. I, you know, they're going to probably say some things, but it's tough. Like Most of the media contingent that they have, they're not letting see anything more than maybe position drills. Now, you know, I know Ryan Day at Ohio State, like Saturday, they're opening up the scrimmage. Everybody can come. All the media can come and watch. And so, yeah, you're going to garner things from that. But I always tell, say this, like, don't ever take too much from, you know, one of those scrimmages because that's just a snapshot into what's going on. And not that it's not important, but it's not something that has happened maybe all the time. Maybe it has, but it's just one day of practice to the coaches. And so while it's important and it's good, and I know that's the only information you got, a guy may be, have three bad, bad practices and then a good, great scrimmage or could have, you know, three great practices and then a so-so scrimmage. And like the coaches, they're going to weigh that stuff, I mean, differently. So, you know, it, it's not like just because that's the only access you see. So it's really hard to find stuff. So my thing is I would just, try to always temper kind of everything. And you know, the coaches, when they speak on players and talk positively about them, that means that they're probably coming along. They're never going to tell you everything, but they're at least telling you they're moving in the right direction. Did you like it when the coaches said absolutely nothing in the press, or did you appreciate it when coaches spoke through the media to get a team's attention? Because I know the players definitely pay attention to their head coach and what they're saying. Yeah, uh, you could tell. I mean, sometimes the coach, you know, say we need to pick up our practices. We drug it a little bit today. The thing I would say that I I never minded that because I would, you know, hear that. And it's like, okay, um, that means practice is going to be hard next day. So let me mentally prepare myself for what's about to happen because the coach said, you know, we had a sluggish practice and that's on me. That means I'm going to drive you that much harder because I didn't get it out of you. So I didn't necessarily mind coaches doing that because I think it's a, it's a, if, as long as players are listening to what's being said, I think that it's a very, very impressive tool saying we better start fast because if not, this thing's going to go downhill in a hurry. The only thing I disagree with is it, players are as tight lipped on injuries as the team wants them to be, right? I think it benefits the player to be, you know, just open and honest about what they're going through. Otherwise, the team and the coach can shape the opinion of what's being talked about. And, and that, to me, is not fair to the player who's simply saying, uh, you want injury news, go talk to the coach, and they're not going to say anything. That is one of the problems where you know nothing is forced to be revealed. And then at the end of the season, you find out, well, this guy you know, was playing through an ankle, or he had right. a shoulder, or he had this, that. And it's like, man, this guy wasn't very good, or he wouldn't do this, or he wouldn't do that. And I understand the competitive advantage of it for coaches, and that's where we probably need to get to a point. 
I mean, you have legalized gambling in college football. The reason there's an NFL injury report is because of the gambling element of it. And so I'm curious if they're going to eventually get to that at some point in time because that's the only way I think you'll solve this is if you have some sort of standard and structured injury report that eliminates all this ambiguity and coaches not saying anything. Bobby Carpenter, you can follow him on social at bcarp3. Check him out on SiriusXM Channel 84, our college football analyst and the professor. Um, so what's today's uh, lecture on? Oh, goodness. We're going to get into uh, leverage buyouts and uh, special purpose vehicles. And so, I mean, nice. creating entities to be able to move assets, to be able to borrow against them and, uh, yeah, develop some leverage that way. So it's good. I mean, I'll, I'll maybe I'll video and send it over to you guys. When you I'll say think. special purpose vehicles, you're not talking about Dodge Challengers provided by NIL, right? Track this Hawks. is a different thing. Okay. Go no track <laughs> Yeah. Just yeah, these, sure. these are not yet. Yeah, these are not the cars that are driving 100 miles an hour. In. No, these are not the. Yeah, we're talking Buicks and and Tauruses here on uh, <laughs> on 360. Uh, have at it, man, and uh, and definitely uh, let us know. I, I wish uh, we could have someone like give us like 60 seconds of Bobby delivering this lecture. It'd be awesome. Uh, we'll chat next week. Okay. All right, see you guys later, man. Uh, Bobby Carpenter, there. Yeah, Professor Carpenter. I, I don't know what. The answer is on these cars that are given in NIL. Nothing, I mean, if it just continues to happen, well, I mean, we're going to continue to talk about it. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's there's going to be more. There, it's now an acceptable practice for the local car dealership to give a very oh, but, fast and nice car but Jaylen, to the star football but players. In Carter's case, his was from Ohio. It was a dealership in Ohio. So, but I also, I don't. I'm not sitting here saying it's NIL that's brought this on. We mentioned yesterday, there have been players across big Power 5 campuses that are driving great cars, and we all know where it came from, right? Yeah. Including the head coach, by the way, who's got the deal. And that one, the car that was involved in the wreck in Georgia, that was a team-issued car uh, with one of the staff members uh, using it. Chad, the football— Should we blame the Fast and the Furious franchise I mean, for this? I just don't. I mean, look, I, I, it, it's not a joking matter what happened to Georgia, but if you're Kirby Smart, and he said this. I mean, you got to look into that. Uh, you got to see—is this something that's happening regularly well, with our players, where they're going out general, and they're having like, drag races? The idea of getting so messed up that you're going to like have the lead foot on the accelerator when you can barely see the dotted line between the middle of the interstate. Like, I, I just don't. To me, I, I don't know how you get to that point to where you're going 140, 150 plus in Henry Ruggs's case. Uh, over feels like a over death 140 uh, for the uh, the pursuit of Tony Mitchell that happened down in Florida, the five star corner for for Alabama. I just don't I don't see where those things meet up, and I think that's the message that has to get across. The high speeds have probably already have always happened, right? Um, but not when you're you know packing heat and drunk, right? And yeah. the two examples I'm using. Chad, um, the football coach out of Washington State, this is back, man, this is like seven or eight years ago now, I believe, 2015 um, or 2014. The, the coach who was let go for praying at the 50-yard line postgame at Bremerton High School, Joseph Kennedy's his name. He's got his job back, and he's got $1.7 million in a settlement with the school district. He, of course, sued the school district for letting him go for praying at the 50 where other uh, some of his team some of his players joined him uh went all the way to the supreme court and of course he's 
got that in his favor now for freedom of religion. And he's getting his job back from the school district. They voted him back in. And he's got $1.7 million in the settlement from the district as well. And you can't talk about Muhammad uh, without some backlash, but apparently a prayer at 50-yard line is you know, a fireable offense. Not it, anymore. It, it's, uh, it's great for precedent that this was cleared out and now it's not going to happen again because this being the precedent right. with him. It, it, it is a little bit odd to me that I don't know what where, where the school district comes up with $1.7 million for him. Uh, if you look at public school systems across America, they, they barely have money for anything. So paying a settlement of $1.7 million, if, if it was his back pay for the time that he was fired until he was reinstated, I would totally understand that, maybe a little bit extra. That seems a little exorbitant just coming from a public school system, quite honestly, when it was probably just a couple people making a terrible mistake when they let him go in the first place. But regardless, let this be a warning. To public school systems, sure. right? I mean, to get the point across, you hit people where it hurts the most, and where it hurts the most is the pocketbook for a lot of places, but especially one that's publicly funded like this that probably has deficit issues already. Um, I do think about where that $1.7 million would have gone in a public school system as opposed to damages to the coach that was fired, but either way good that this isn't going to continue happening now because lesson learned in this whole deal. This guy, this guy won big time. And I'm I'm sure the school board has changed over through local elections, right? Um, But the same school board in in general voted him back. And now he's going to be assistant coach um, because they, of course they've got a head coach, but they're bringing him back first as the assistant. I also think it's, I mean, it's cool, but I, isn't it odd that the guy's going back to the school where he's fired for this? Yeah, I wouldn't I mean, want to have any part of it. I, yeah, but I look. I, I'm just but vindictive he's, he's enough. That, the example, though, I'm vindictive enough that if I were him, I just wouldn't want the people that had any part in that decision. I'd want them to pay the price professionally, and I'd want them to be out of a job. Right. I, I just it's it's a difficult thing for me to think about. Well, we really got them. Now all the kids in the public school system years later are going to pay the price. Because that's $1.7 million coming out of that school system going to this guy. And the people there now had no, nothing to do with that decision, I'm sure. And the kids certainly didn't have anything to do with it. So I'm a little bit torn on the story with the $1.7 million where it's coming out of the pocket of the school system. When, again, me being vindictive Chad over here, I want them fired. Well, That's the base, recourse. I want yeah. the people who made this decision not being able to work for schools anymore. And I don't That's know, what I want. I don't know if the district, the school board is made up of the same people. Uh, but if you don't settle, you're probably paying more than what they ended up settling with on yeah. 1.7. Well, I'm sure this guy who praises his team is probably saying, you know, God forgives. <laughs> yeah, well, what, actually unlike, what he's saying what is... I'm saying, God forgives, but let's actually, get that 1.7 million. What he's saying is, and what everybody should should keep in mind freedom of religion doesn't matter what religion or who you worship and if you worship at all you can do whatever you want to and this is a great example of that um an expression of religion in this case praying at the 50 yard line where players eventually joined him uh hit us and up that's the thoughts. main part of the story Outkick is the precedent it sets and that's a good thing that you're not going to have people fired right for for exhibiting their freedom of religion in sporting events at public schools arch manning is running third on the depth chart and i don't see uh, how this is shocking to anyone right now. You come in as a freshman, Chad. 
spring practices going on at Texas. And I, I, I realized what was said by Sarkeesian where he's saying it's open and every, he wants competition. But, I mean, a freshman coming in for the first couple of practices is going to work his way up the ladder. So the fact he's getting third string reps as he learns what's going on on a college campus and how they practice with the Longhorns, uh, it's also not going to be a surprise when Quinn Ewers is the starter for the Longhorns as they try to redshirt this guy, Manning, and get him ready for the SEC slate. The one thing I will say is that the guy that's in front of him was a four, almost five-star pro-style quarterback. Malik Murphy, I want to say is his name. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a redshirt freshman. So it did cross my mind to think, if he stays ahead of him, and there's no signs of this guy, this guy's going to be great too. I mean, if you're Arch Manning, you're waiting around to your junior year to play? No. Arch Manning's not going there to wait around to his junior year. He's going to play as a redshirt freshman next year. But if this guy's in front of him and stays there... He's not going to. That guy's going to transfer. I would think so, too, but I would They're also... They're running him second so he doesn't transfer now, after spring. I, I would also think that Arch Manning... Then you better be recruiting another quarterback who's cool being Arch's backup for two or three years, if that's the case. If it's sure. all, this is all just a depth play... To keep this guy on the team that's now? What, that's what these coaches do. I mean, it, I, I don't think it's a, a a big secret that Manning's going to redshirt, right? No, like no, no. That, that part isn't. I, I'm just, look. So to keep the guy you want as the backup, the backup, you run him as the backup so he doesn't transfer after spring. And you make it sound like it's an open competition. That's how I read into what the reps are saying. Not that Manning's going to be pissed off by running third. I just don't find that... Uh, a major story from Manning's perspective. It's smart by Sarkeesian because he's going to keep the the four or five star. Well, guy and look, ahead of him. They, if that's the case, you know they better hope Arch Manning is all he's been built up to be because this I guy. I don't know if a Manning. What has I've failed. read about this guy too is that he may go somewhere else and be an absolute superstar. That he is being looked at as a big time pro prospect who's a year older. All I'm saying is, from Arch Manning's standpoint. I I know when you go to these big programs, they've got someone there that may be a year older, but. Man, he had his pick, and you could have gone somewhere and either started immediately at certain places or at least had a guy who's a junior or senior that you know you're stepping right in there. Yeah. Yeah. But what's gonna you're probably right. What's gonna happen is the kid that's the red shirt freshman ahead of him right now is probably gonna be the one out, and then Arch Manning will be in. But it's it's an it's an it's a complicated quarterback room at Texas. That's all I'll say. I'm not saying Arch isn't gonna start next year. We know Quinn Ewers will probably start this year. But it seems to be a more and yours com- gets hurt. it's a more complex quarterback room mm-hmm. in those meetings than I would have expected that Arch Manning of all people would have willingly walked into. If if Sarkeesian wants to stick around to coach Arch Manning, he's playing this the right way right now, the best he can based on the depth of the quarterback position. Coming up, primary complaint. We've got headlines. We have a great discussion coming up on the March Madness bracket. With Tim Brando, John Fanta later. This is Outkick 360. Lots to discuss with Rodgers. The Packers, Lamar Jackson, and more straight ahead on Outkick 360 here on the Outkick Network. But before that, each Wednesday at this time, it is time for Primary Complaint. 
It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. Don't run away from your feelings. It's time for Primary Complaint on Outkick 360. My primary complaint, guys, and this goes on every day across Twitter, uh, specifically with the NFL, uh, anytime you want news to break, the agent just texts the insider. And Michael David Smith of, of Pro Football Talk points this out. This is the, the, the first three tweets on a timeline involving the breaking news that Kevin Byard was asked to take a contract uh, reduction with the Tennessee Titans. Okay, great news. The obvious point, though, is the agent just sends a text and then the quote-unquote insiders copy-paste and hit send all at the same time. And there's no substance to it other than what the agent wants to get out. I'm tired of the copy-paste send without doing any digging or background behind what you're doing. Just word vomit. And it comes from the agent, not from the reporter. That's my primary complaint. So this may only be my neighborhood. I don't know. Clearly, there's some strange things that happen in my neighborhood. Maybe it's everyone's neighborhood, and you can relate to this as well. The amount of people who just seem offended that a car is traveling in their own neighborhood, even if the car isn't speeding, or even if maybe two, three, five miles over the speed limit, whatever. But they just seem like it's a personal affront to them if they're out on their peaceful walk or jog or they're walking their dog in the neighborhood and that choose to stare you down as you're driving. And then I choose to hit the brakes and look in my rear view and stop and stare at them also until they stop staring at me because they think that I've done something that put them in harm's way when in fact what I've done, I've not been traveling on the sidewalks, I've been driving in the the road of the street that I live on, but yet that seems to offend people in some way. It's maddening. Stop with the stare-down contest. We're all neighbors here. Just continue on your leisurely walk or jog or continue walking your dog and do not make eye contact with me. If you do, (laughs) wave. Just be friendly. I'll, I'll wave back. That's fine. But don't mumble something under your breath and stare. Because when that happens, there's going to come a time where I'm going to park the car and get out and ask what the problem is. And we don't want that. Certainly my employer doesn't want that also because I don't want to be arrested. Please don't do it. That is my primary complaint. Guys, my primary complaint revolves around the animal called the raccoon dog. I did not know this animal existed until a couple of days ago. It's in the news because now they're trying to say that uh, this is possibly an origin for COVID a couple of years ago at a Wuhan market. <laughs> that's, that's not what I, I'm concerned about now. We, I, I've moved past that in life. I just did not know this animal was a thing. I mean, if you look at this monstrosity, like this is the type of things like you tell your kids about, like this thing's going to come and eat you. Like, I mean, that's going to give them nightmares for a while. I, it, I guess it's closely related to a fox, but the fact that, again, like I, I come from the American public school system. So maybe since this thing wasn't on like the plains of Africa, there's a good chance I don't know about it. Apparently, it originates in uh, parts of like China, Japan. There's now like one in like, uh, I believe it's Eastern Europe. But still, I'm now just more curious about myself about what other animals I do not know existed. And I mean, this thing just like, it just takes you by surprise the first time you see this. I mean, it literally does look like a a raccoon mated with a dog. Or is it a fox? Like, he said it's a a part of the fox family. Okay. It's very disturbing. I, 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 it frightens me to look at. And if I saw one in so, the wild, I wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. So this isn't like uh, you know a horse and a donkey make a mule. This no, is, uh, uh, this, this is, is something that um, a little this crossover. This is an actual action. animal. It's probably got like the actual scientific, the genus, 
You know the name of it. I'm so this, sure it's this isn't it's, new. I guess I, I've never it's seen one. It's been around. I mean, like I don't this. know if it was on Noah's Ark, but when, <laughs> yeah, clearly not. When Davey said it originated from a Wuhan market, I thought he was going to say Wu Tang concert, <laughs> and I thought you yeah, both are believable. You know, it could have yeah. the, the virus could have come the case, from either eradicate spot. Them, if not, the not, not Wu Tang. Oh. We're saying this animal. Yeah. You know, to be clear, we're, we don't want to eradicate Wu Tang. Big Wu Tang fans on this. Someone show. will run on that platform. Yes, that be was uh, that's a terrifying looking beast for clickbait. And yes. I hope that I never see that animal. Much like I don't. I hope that people in my neighborhood Davey, stop staring at me. Uh, no, I've never seen this. Just like you. Uh, in fact, it looks like something that's made up. You know? Frightening, but it's real. It's real, and it's a primary complaint. We're going to now hear how it's all make-believe. Yeah. It's not, actually not real. Headlines next, including the Packers president, who is all of a sudden a mute.